my God. Where am I? I'm on Sur Oh my gosh, I'm on Survivor Stockwatch. Oh my gosh. How long has it been? Months? Years? Decades? Oh, wait, I see something else. Hold on, hold on. I'm deep. Ah, ah, ah. Oh my god, Will! Oh my we were god. doing an intro. I didn't know we were Oh my gosh. You're alive! I am barely. We're here! Oh my god! Yes. Welcome to Stockwatch, everybody. I am your main host, Jack. And with me, as always, is Will at Official Saving Bruce. Will, how are you doing? Uh, I can hear again, which is great. Which is great. I heard. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, I've been, I've been good. It's show week. I Saving Bruce. We have a show on Friday, so shout out to that. <laughs> you know. We can hear. We're ready for Friday, baby. We are. Pretty for Friday. Uh, I got new posters in my room. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I see some new posters. I I'm liking the style. I'm digging it. Thank, thank you. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So, Cambodia, second chance. I know. I yeah. I shoot, man. I you know. We 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 um we supported this idea when we were doing our podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. We were like, hey, we should we should stock watch a, a season. Obviously, stock watching a season that's already happened is a little tough, but we're going to do what we can. We're going to put our little stock watch spin on it, and we're going to make it nice and fun uh, and nice and creative. Um, you know, there's a lot of topics to cover, and we'll try and go into specifics with certain people. We'll try to go into specifics with certain events that's gonna be tough it's gonna be really really tough and a lot of it's gonna be on the fly because you know the most the most uh castaways we've managed like to go like really in depth with i think it's like nine or ten we are going in on 19 yep it's kind of uh, hard and just so the reason why we're doing Cambodia and doing the way we're doing is that the main people who do the recaps, they're going over Cambodia's second chance. And so we're kind of going along with them. The the viewers at home voted for Cambodia. We won a Gabon, but we're still – but but I was saying this earlier to Jack in the, in the pregame. Uh, I think a season that is as strategy-heavy as Cambodia, I think the stock watch is uh, – will be brilliant. You know, we're talking about the journeys and, and, you know, even though we know ahead of time what's happening, being able to go back and go like, hey, if this season was airing now, like, you know, it lets us read the edit more because that's kind of what we do um, because we are nerds and we love Survivor. How, how we're going to divide uh, our stock watches up. We're going to be doing five uh, episodes of Stockwatch. Uh, this is the first episode, and so we're going over episodes uh, one to four. Uh, the next episode, uh, we are going to be going over episodes five and six. The next episodes, we're going to be going over the early merge, probably like seven to 
10, maybe 7, 9, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the second to last episode, we're going to be going over the mid-merge, which is right before the finale. In the last episode, we go over the finale. Yep. And we kind of rest on our laurels and kind of put it to bed. So I think we should go. I think we do we do better when we're looking at charts. We have a so lot of We have a lot of charts. Lots of data, baby. All right. Here we go. So we're going to start off. Uh, we are not going to be starting off with Vetus because Vetus was only in one episode. And so there's no growth. There's no... There's no reason to show Vetus. And so we are going to start off with Shireen. Um, I had Shireen very in the middle going into the season because she had a pretty uh, like decent first episode. It was pretty just like foundational and laid a base, but it wasn't super strong or exemplary of what her strategy was. So I thought, okay, you know, hey, that's something. That could be longevity. And then it did. You know, Shireen got uh, immediately oustered out. Uh, and I think it's, you know, I think it's more than a perfect time to bring up what I think is going to be the overarching theme of not only this episode, but our whole recap of Second Chance. It is the transition and escalating evolution of survivor strategy this season that is so fundamentally groundbreaking how game. yeah game game breaking game changing game changers um, <laughs> um survivor second chance is the 31st season and while there have been seasons on that type of caliber there's been uh, All-Stars, there's been Heroes versus Villains. Th the big seasons and all other seasons have largely been defined by the plays of alliances, set-in-stone alliances that will, will potentially break up or will potentially ride it out together. But it's mainly about alliances sticking together from the start and breaking up midway end of the game. This season is not that. And I think it is so unfathom unfathomably clear with Shireen yep. that that is the case. Because Shireen was in a pretty fantastic place, the first episode, admittedly. Like, she was in the know. She was feeling good. Next episode, her and Spencer are on the bottom and she goes home. It, it, it is mind-boggling how yeah. quick it changed. And I don't even think we've really seen anything even as quick past this, except for like live tribals and whisper tribals. But, you know, like this is lightning paced survivor strategy. So my thing with Shirin is that I think part of the reason why the cast in the season is very um, quick, fast paced is because of one player that we'll get to a little later. Abby Maria. Mm -hmm. Abby was a firecracker in the Philippines, right? But she didn't have control, right? She was on the outs. Everyone didn't like her. And going into this season, you know, people were worried about Abby. And, you know, I don't want to talk about Abby too much. But Abby 
causes this game to be a so fast paced. You know, she votes very emotionally, and Shirin was the first casualty. Shirin got voted out of the season, partly because of her alliance with Spencer that, you know, someone like Varner picked up on. But it was ultimately her not going to Abby Maria when Abby got voted for in the previous tribal council. That one little move of her going back to the original camp and leaving Abby alone, and then Terry D's coming up to, to Abby, is what sent Shirin out the game, which is wild, right? And it sucks because I don't think Shirin... I don't think she is as high caliber of a strategist. Yeah. I think across Worlds Apart and then here, she's a character. She's a narrator, and, you know, she's a super fan. And that's that's kind of what dictated uh, Shirin. And a lot of the times in, in seasons like All-Star Seasons, Winners at War, uh, Heroes vs. Villains, All-Stars, you know, a lot of the smaller game players... They either adapt and make it really far, or they fail to adapt. And Sharon tried. You know, she had the alliance, but her slight error so early on is ultimately what sends her packing. And it's depressing, but it's, yeah, it's. I I, I want to point something out. Um, I think I really want to take a look at the voting history for this season. Obviously, I can't show it on the slides because we don't have it on the slides. But I want to explain the voting history of Abby Maria for the first two episodes and how it relates to Shireen. Shireen and Abby voted together both times. They voted Vetus at the first tribal, and they voted Spencer at the second tribal. But in a way, I think Abby would have preferred Shireen to go. Yep. Like, it's... Yeah. That, 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 that's the whole point. That's the whole point I think Will and I are trying to make, that it is so convoluted and there's so many things like in the field, in the mind going on in this season. Like a lot of people come and say, oh, this, is, this was an old school versus new schools kind of season. I really don't think so. I really think this was more like let the bloodhounds rise. It's every person for themselves. And it's a lot more new school. And if it were old school versus new school, we see a lot more old school players in the end. I think think part of it is it's less about, you know, who was on season two, who was on season 29. It's more about, how they act and how they play the game. We saw very early on a player like Wu, he was categorized with the old school players. Mm, he was yeah. a shelter builder. You know, he was, you know, categorized with Kelly Wigglesworth, you know. And and that that's kind of the thing. We you know we have a player like Varner. He came in ready to play a new school game. He went to Terry Deets and was like, Deets, you have to play a new school game. And a lot of the early players who had that drive, they wanted to play a new school game. We saw that with Varner, with Kimmy, with Terry. You, the only player that didn't really adapt was Wigglesworth. And we'll get to her later. Yeah. And- I, I, I think it's fascinating. I think Shireen, uh, I don't think she was as hyper of a strategist. I think you're right. I don't think she was as hyper of a strategist as we were led on to believe. Uh, but this season, she definitely wasn't as much of a character as the previous season. And it was a much yeah. more subdued and calculated edit which sucks for shireen because i'm sure she you know she would have been she could have been great on another season but 
Yeah. It's the unfortunate circumstance of the storm that is Abby Marie. I think too. I think Shorin just came back too early. I think I think yeah. she should have came back for Game Changers. I think the only Game person Game. that should have came back from Worlds Apart was was Joe, because that that was a given. Yeah, because I think when you need growth, like Shireen, I think Shireen needed growth and to have a complete character arc. Joe didn't need growth. All Joe yeah. needed was to just win more competitions and yeah. increase viewer attention rate. You know, right? When when a character arc is complete, when someone's arc is complete in a season, they don't have growth to go through. There is not really a reason to either call them back for forever. Or call them back immediately. Mm-hmm. If Shireen, I don't know if Shireen would have been on Game Changers, but what if she was on Edge of Extinction as a captain? Something, something like that. There you go. Instead of having Joe again or uh, Aubrey again, you know, bring some one-time players that were pretty good, like Shireen. And now Shireen is in this position where – she was seen as an outcast in her original season and is now supposed to be a leader. Her and David would have been perfect captains too because David has a story. He was an outsider and he was able to integrate himself back into the game. Now, would they succeed with, with you know, because now we're talking about Edge of Extinction. Extinction. Yeah, now we're getting into Edge of Extinction. Cult <laughs> classic. Our, our ADHD just knows no bounds. But yeah. that would have been a perfect character arc because the story would have been written before the season started. And Shrin would have been able to have growth, you know, been a leader, not an outcast. She wouldn't need a Mike White to come in and save her. Mike Holloway. No, Holloway, not White. Yeah. Thinking of another season. <laughs> Thinking of another Mike. I know. <laughs> yeah. Shrin was great. But we should move on to who I think is personally the most, like, just absolutely dogged by Abby Maria. That's PG. <laughs> PG got dogged. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. P- like, Abby Maria's hate against PG was immediately established with the first scene of Abby Maria. With the whole, like, necklace thing and the bag thing. Like, oh my god. Abby Maria hated PG. Like, literally hated that girl. And I just, like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't I don't even get it. I, I, I think while Shireen was a pretty mild case of being caught up in the storm Averia, PG was the storm and was literally in the hurricane minutes ago. Like, PG makes me, because when I was watching, when I first saw Survivor China, right, it's like I loved... The um, what's the what's Feilong? Feilong was the tribe that mm-hmm. everyone liked when they watched China, and PG kind of got dogged then, right? Because yeah. her alliance was, you know, they were floundering. They had to she was, go against. She like, was a scrappy underdog, man. She, she made it to fifth place, and you know, she did pretty good for herself. Oh yeah, and then she came back, finally gets a second chance all these years later, and then immediately from the jump. Has no win equity because of Abby Maria. It's it's it's, it's horrible. There are other people that will, you know, you know. There's other people um, that will even talk about the next person who, you know, kind of ruined their reputation uh, as a as a player because they really, really like fucked up gameplay wise. Like episode three, we'll get there, um, but. You know, 
PG didn't even get a chance, right? Like, PG didn't even get a opportunity to really build some strong relationships. She immediately got dogged. Her one kind of connection was with Wu, and that was more, I think it was more like tribal lines than anything. But, you know, I feel bad. PG got just the short end of the stick, and it is so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. I I know with every All-Star season, there's always that one early boot that just stings. And Cambodia did a great job because a lot of the early boots outside outside of PG, I could live with. I could live with Vetus and Shireen going out early. Mm-hmm. PG, just that's like, yeah, that's it's stupid. I don't like it. PG PG was not to say that PG was a strong contender like outside of her Abby Maria content. If she ever had content that was apart from Abby Maria, it wasn't really that great so you didn't get the impression that she was really on the forefront of things but i think it speaks for itself when we remember pg for being just abby maria's bitch abby maria wasn't there don't forget we saw a pgbs crappy underdog the first time she would have been a great underdog the second time missed opportunities man I hate Third chances. I hate Survivor. Or, or Survivor Rivals, you know, because RC's not playing again, so let's have PG versus Abby. Fuck it. All right. I think we need to get into how I personally like to define the beginning of second chances, and that is pre-Varner and post-Varner. Because Jeff Varner, in essence kind of dominated a lot of the time he was on the screen this season. Yep. So starting episode one, he started out admittedly really great. Like he was in the know. He wanted to play with the old schoolers, but he was really trying to learn the new school and play a smart game. He was really intuitive and he was really uh, moving through every connection. Well, Yep. episode two you start to see some cracks, and you're like, okay, that's not great, Jeff Varner. You're kind of losing your shit a little bit, but as long as you're, you know, stable, a bad episode happens. Mm -hmm. And then episode three happens, and I watched this yesterday. I watched episode three yesterday to get a refresher for this. You know, I don't even I, – I, I can't even really understood what he said at the challenge or what he mouthed at the challenge. But he – you, you don't do that. You – he's so unfathomably dumb. Like, yep. there is new school and then there is stupid school. New school – like, new school is pretty fast, pretty chaotic gameplay. Stupid school is making stupid decisions on Survivor, and Jeff Varner accidentally enrolled himself in stupid school. It alienated him from Angkor uh, to the point where he was on the top and doing fine to on the bottom, and the next episode in contention with going home with Wu, who was not going home. Like, there was no... I, 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 people say it was maybe a split, but like there was a chance we could have gone home. No way. Jeff was going home. We was good at challenges. He was, he was, he was a puppy dog. Jeff Varner was cutthroat and was a snake. 
there and wasn't as be- good a challenge as Widow. No way. So if Jeff didn't do that stupid, stupid move, I think there's a chance he can go very far and do pretty darn well. But tough shit. I don't here's my thing with Jeff Varner, Mr. Varner. Jeff Varner, I think he seems like an org player who went on survivor. He does. Because what he does is he sets himself up very well. He did this in season two. He sets himself up well with his tribe, and he wants to be the gamey villain that everyone, you know, loves to hate. He wants to be the next Richard Hatch. And then he overplays or makes a critical flaw that just ruins all win equity he could have had because he was in a great spot because he was the player that was old school who wanted to play a new school game. But I don't think he realized that like the last time someone tried mouthing to the other tribe and survivor was in season nine with Bubba who got voted out that tribe. Oh no. I Oh my God. I just want to be about that. And exactly. It doesn't work out. And Jeff, like someone in your generation of survivor made the same mistake, but it, it sucks. I don't think he would have had the best shot to win the game. I yeah. think I think he would have been a bigger threat. Um, and he, he would he's he's like the final eight boss that we see mm-hmm. in the new era. You know, like he's the final eight like guys, like the first big hurdle for the the real like winner contenders to get it, over. It's when all the small players, all the people who want to shield. You know, they're like, all right, we have to take out a bigger threat now. We got to stop infighting. That's when Jeff Varner would go. Because, you know, I think he doesn't know threat management. um, But he also doesn't know a lot of the key details that makes a survivor winner. Um, And honestly, my favorite iteration of Jeff Varner across any show he's ever been on was the one time he was in Big Brother 2 um, as a reward challenge. That's a throwback right there. Um, oh my gosh. And wow. that was the only time I liked Jeff Varner across any Survivor season. That is a fair point. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, he could have done uh, a lot better and could have gone a lot farther, but he imploded himself. But I can't, like, you can't deny that the beginning half of the pre merge was all about Varner. And it was basically Varner's. Like, you know, Barnes. He was the narrative. <laughs> he, he was the guy. He was the narrative. He was that guy. He was that guy. Now, we are going to get into players um, that are still in the game as of this point. And we are now going to go alphabetically. Which means Abby Maria. <laughs> uh, you're going to – I don't know if you disagree with me or not. I, I really hope you don't disagree with me because I don't think I want to fight about this. Abby Maria's last in every episode. I'm going to I'm going to stand by the point that if I could pick one person out of all of Survivor to never have a chance at winning ever, it's Abby Maria. I I will never never in a million years. If she is against someone who's literally about to die, like they're literally about to fall over and collapse, and a two-year-old who doesn't know how to play, I'm going to vote for either the two-year-old or the senile old man. I'm not going to vote for Abby Maria because I just do not trust Abby Maria's skills 
as a genuine game player. I think the one thing she is good at is lowering her threat level. But even then, lowering her threat level so much to the point where she is just goaded along. So I just want to say that I think – no, 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 no. I'm just saying that I'm a lot more fair with Abby Maria when we talk about her game than someone like Jeff Barner because outside of the game, Abby Maria is like the nicest person ever. Yeah, yeah. outside of the game, Abby Maria is fantastic for sure. But when it's in the game, I I, I do agree. I think the problem with Abby Maria is that she – She's kind of like Russell Hansen in a way, where she's able to get control, but the way she gets control has not a lot of showmanship, right? You know, she will never be able to manage a jury properly. The only way is if she was next to someone vile, you know, like if she made final three in Philippines. She, yeah. She might... If she came clean in the final tribal council and was very humble and said, look, look, guys. Dear God. <laughs> even then, I don't. she doesn't have the best shot. But the one thing we cannot deny about Abby Maria, we can have her last in every episode. She has control. Yeah, we, I'll she give her that. votes off of emotion. She votes based off of, you know, who pissed her off, you know, the most. But... Yeah. She she does have control. We saw with Sharin and MPG, where all Sharin did to uh, Abby Maria was not console her, but Terry did. And then right after that, the second after, she was like, "My allegiance is with uh, Terry Deeds." Terry, hundred you know? percent. She hated PG the entire pre swap, and then going into the swap or the expansion, whatever they call it, because because her bracelet was in PG's bag. And, you know, she never confronted PG until way late. Never said, hey, you know, my, my brace was in your bag. You know, is that, you know, did you take it? Like, what's going on? You know, I just want to be on the right foot. Instead, she goes to everyone and is like, we got to vote on PG. She's a snake. Don't trust her. You know, and PG's just like, even PG lost her cool. You know, PG was like the scrappy underdog, and but like very respectable, very respectful. I think what I think um, this like I don't think Abby Maria thought this far ahead. I don't think Abby Maria ever like really planned this whole strategy out. But if she had the strategy where she was this way intentionally to goat herself, I, so I've played orgs, right? I've played orgs. Really, in one org, I decided. To pull an Abby Maria and go after someone publicly to try to get them out. Because I didn't like them and they were the best player in the game. They ended up being someone who alted and they got uh, expelled. Uh, anywho. Uh, Give me the name after. I'm curious. It almost worked. I lost by one vote because the person who did not vote for me switched his vote at the literal last minute he could. So I almost won the whole game so it is a winning strategy it can be a very winnable strategy to intentionally goat yourself and then ride it out and be stronger if this was abby maria's game at this point and we got to actually see her mind working through it 
it could be some like genius level strategy, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, and it is just Abby Marie. And it sucks because she came into the season wanting to be like you know she wanted that cast storyline, and we'll get to cast later. But like everybody wanted to be like you know improved, you know, you know a lot. I'm a lot more sociable. And then immediately, scene one, she immediately went back on it. it it's really comical. And, you know, but you know what, though? Through it all, I'm really glad Abby was on the season. Because I, I am, too. I don't think this season would have been the same without Abby Maria. She is my favorite person to root against. I love rooting against Abby Maria. And for that reason, I really like her as a character because I love being, like, Avaria just voted out my my winner pick episode three, you know, like couldn't get her off the island. <laughs> For that reason, which she drives the narrative of the pre of of most of the pre merge of Cambodia, especially the first four episodes. I think this se- yeah, I think this season just suffers without someone like Abby Maria. Thank God the fans voted her in because she was needed on a season with. Admittedly, such intense game bots, super intensive game bot players. Abby was a need, and it was a great pull. For Survivor sure. needs a good villain, and Abby was one of my favorite villains because Abby also wasn't personal. You know, she she wasn't yeah. she wasn't a bad person. Everyone has good things to say about Abby Maria, unless they're starving on an island with her. Which is exactly the type of characters that Survivor, modern Survivor, needs. Pro but, tip. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I want to hear a pro tip. I was a pro tip. If you ever are with Abby Maria, make sure it's at some kind of restaurant or some kind of social event, not on an island in the middle of the wilderness, starving. Starving. Eating nothing but rice. Make sure, make sure you're at like an IHOP or something, and you're fine. Double check your bag too. You don't want to have a bracelet. You never mm. know. If you do, you're done. Exactly. All right. Moving on. Andrew Savage. It's interesting. Um, Andrew Savage. I'm gonna take a look at his edging strip real quick because I think it's pretty fascinating. And I'm also gonna take a look real quick at uh, example Pearl Islands uh, edging. I want to see the comparison because I, I think it's pretty similar. It's well, pr- it's pretty similar. Andrew Savage has not changed at all across nope. Pro Islands or or like, and you know it's funny because Andrew Savage he's one of those really complex characters from early Survivor who like plays the game but has like these moral qualms about the game. He reminds me of Lex in a way from yeah. Africa and All Stars. Yeah, and you know I will say. You know, it's funny how, like, he has a perfect wife and kids and everything in his life is perfect, <laughs> except for losing to a tie-dye pirate uh, in Pearl Islands and little of all people, but that's Pearl Islands. Yeah. But, you know, we see him kind of take a very similar, albeit less leader-esque role because, you know, a lot of the early Survivor Cambodia gameplay, especially the first four episodes, it was a lot of the big threats coming together, a lot of the big, strong guys coming together. And that was able to allow uh, Savage to maintain his, like, fatherly figure in the camp while, you know, being able to insulate himself to where he's not sticking out like a sore thumb. 
And he's playing a really good game and doing really well at insulting himself very early on. I know he's, you know, around the middle of the pact in the positions. But for a guy like Savage, that is a great spot to be at. You know? I think Savage, um, Savage telling that personal story. I want to talk about the personal story he told in episode two, albeit when looking at it, it's a pretty funny. It's pretty funny. The South wife. African model comes out of nowhere and sweeps Andrew Savage off his feet. Like that's pretty fucking silly. Yeah. But you know, I think weaponizing storytelling like that, especially with people who have incredibly. Um, like you know, emotional stories and incredibly mm. tight family lives. That is an unbreakable connection that forms, and that is a, in my opinion, a top tier strategic move. Oh yeah, I think big time. Telling that personal story, letting some barriers down, and really trying to connect with that whatever demographic of people, even if it's just personally letting it out. You're trying to connect with demographics of people on your tribe. And so if you're telling story about your lovely South African wife, it's going to touch people who may have some uh, husbands, may have some wives in the story. It touched Jeremy. There you go. Ally for life. Him saying that story to Jeremy of all people was he he told it to the best possible person on the entire cast. We'll, We'll talk about Jeremy in a bit. But Jeremy, he... He is like the family man, you know. He played for his wife in both seasons, or he played for his wife in San Juan del Sur, played with her, against her, whatever, and then came back for his wife. His first confessional was saying, you know, he was there more for Val than for himself, you know. And so I think, you know, we saw a contrast when Savage said that to Jeremy versus Spencer. Spencer just said, oh, you know, same my, my my girlfriend says i love you and i don't say that you know it's that's cool Sam. <laughs> jeremy, was like, <laughs> jeremy was like you know savage is a really stand-up guy and so that and we also see strategies like this all the time we see mo- like moms work together you know dads work, like parents they work together they bond over their kids like we see this all the time and you know it's a very old school style of gameplay but it's one of those things that still works you know 30 seasons later Sorry, someone just sent me the most absurd message. Anywho, um, yeah, I mean, like, read the room, right? Read the room. I think, in a way, Savage very clearly read the room with that speech. And he continued to read the room. And I want to talk, the one one other thing I want to talk about with Savage is his anchor rise to power. Because normally when you're rising to power in a swap tribe in a minority, it takes some time. It takes a lot of relationship building. It takes maybe an idol. It takes winning some challenges. It takes time. You want to know how much time it took Savage and Tasha? How much time? An episode. A couple, like a day. A couple days. Like, the fact that they were able to do that is astonishing. And also not astonishing. Astonishing because in that objective scenario, it is very, very difficult. Oh, but yeah. in this specific scenario... But he's also with... with you know, 
hellstorms of fighting and characters. And not with the there's best players. There's in- so much wiggle room. Like Tasha and Savage, but save for maybe PG and Jeff, maybe once, are far and away better players than the other four. Like Tasha and Savage are far better yeah, players. I argue that even Wu is better than Varner. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, Wu's a pretty good player in and of himself. But I'm saying overall, oh yeah, like big time Tasha and Savage are better players. And I think it really speaks to the fact I don't think they really I just think they needed to make sure that they weren't complete idiots and they weren't isolating their new tribe members, just bonded with them and tried to make some strategy with them, trying to cut some deals, and bam, boom, boom. You got it. And I think it takes someone savvy to do that. And I'll speak about it with Tasha's game as well. But Savage did a great job with that. And I think these first four episodes, Savage established himself as a great, uh, you know, a great person to watch in the season and a good player. However, we've fallen into this trap before because Savage in Pearl Islands was great. And he was a leader, a natural leader. He was awesome. And then it fell apart completely it didn't fall apart in one episode it just fell apart exponentially over each episode and then the last episode dead gone and he starts off good here it may happen who knows and that's that that is a you know problem too because like i said earlier he's playing a very similar game than in pearl islands you know and his game in pearl islands it was great until until Lil. And Lil was like the one weird pick that just disassembled Savage's entire game. Everything. And who's to say a weird curveball pick won't disassemble his game again? Let's move on. Sierra! <laughs> um, Sierra voted out her mom. That and that is... Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Sierra voted out her mom. Um, Sierra started off slow, and she's you know still kind of starting off slow this season. She's right coasting in the middle. I she hasn't lost a challenge at this point, or lost an immunity challenge. She hasn't gotten a tribal at this point. She's pretty pretty savvy. She's in good with her new swap tribe, like. There's not a lot to say. This is kind of a cookie cutter. Like, hey, Sierra's doing well. She's doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, Sierra is like a lesser Andrea. Just one of those solid players, but not remarkable in any way. Mm. And Sierra, for me, is always rough to rank. I forget she's on the season until she's brought up. Not because she's a purple edit, which, you know, she, she has a very small edit. Not because she's a bad player. You know, she was pretty savvy in Blood versus Water. You know, made the choice to vote out her mom, which gets overdone to death. But it was a smart move and a smart play for her. She bluffed an idol to people. You know, she's able to play the game well. But the problem, the problem with Sierra, to me, and the problem in the first four episodes is that 
she's too small of a fish in such a great pond, you know? Don't give me those don't give me that face. But this game is Cambodia. No, I believe you. I you agree. Need, like you either have a giant personality, like like with, you know, Abby Maria or, or Keith, or you are a game bot. Sierra is neither. She's savvy, she has personality, but she needs she needed to just lean one way and just ride with it. Yeah. I, I, I think I think Sierra is in a spot where there's not really a lot to say because I think she's just she's not a focal point, but she's not doing horribly. She's right in the middle, she's coasting well. However, I don't think for a second chances season it might not be enough. Like as much as I want to say that Sierra is doing pretty well for herself in a big season like this, you need to be some kind of focal point off the bat. And Sierra hasn't been much of that. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Jeremy. Uh, wow. Uh, here's what I want to talk about with Jeremy. Jeremy has in my opinion, the greatest uh, first two-episode combo of any player in this season and one of the best all time. Uh, I want to – I'll explain. Uh, In the first episode, Jeremy outlines his strategy. I want to work with the Shields. I want to work with the Meat Shields. I want to work with the Joes, the Savages, uh, Tasha's, like all of that. He wants to work with the Meat Shields. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in episode two, once Savage tells a story, Jeremy gets some great personal content and talks about it in the context of the game, wanting to play for his family and for Val. In my opinion, the two hallmarks of someone who has a great uh, opening season edit is you talk about your primary strategy for the season and you talk about personal. If you have those two things, it is set in stone that you are going to be a contender for the rest of the season until you go, right? It's point blank. And especially if you're not the main focal point. And he wasn't. He got, like, right in the middle, like a three visibility. So he's falling right in that middle line. The problem with that is that I'm going to use the precedence example again. In San Juan del Sur, Jeremy had a phenomenal start. And he was phenomenal the entire game until he got sniped and blindsided in the early merge. It's very easy to say that that could happen to Jeremy again. He can outline this great strategy. He can have a great personal story. He could be a great contender for the win. But based on precedence, we've seen that Jeremy is the type of player to have that strong edit and then just lose. Do you know who Jeremy reminds me of? Who? This might be a weird pick, but Ethan Zahn from Africa. I keep talking about Africa. I don't know why. Explain. I think Jeremy has – the biggest thing Jeremy has is he just is a really likable guy. Like Something about his social game – hello? What's up? Sorry, everything just froze for me. Something about Jeremy's social game – you know, he's a, he, again, he's a family man, right? 
And so he's going to get in good with, you know, people like Savage, you know, older people like, you know, um, uh, Kimmy and those people. But he also has that new school edge to him, you know, of, of new school survivor. He just played t- season 29. Um, enough time has passed, you know, season 30 break, whatever. Right. And it's just something about Jeremy. Like, I just, I always like watching the guy. And you know he's like he loves his family more than anything else, and I think his likability alone will get him very far in the game, just like I got Ethan far in the game. And I, yeah, I I agree with that, but it also is a liability for Jeremy because his likability can be so likable at times that it is so threatening to other players. Like it is a charming likability. Also, quick comment: my grandparents, their favorite player is Jeremy. Favorite player of all time is Jeremy. Continue. That's a good pick. My favorite player pick? of all time is Greg Buis. So you know, <laughs> don't, don't see. <laughs> no, that's not a joke, by the way, either. <laughs> no, no, no. When you say that, I believe you. I'm just what? All right, um, keep going. Continue. Anywho, at the same time, too, though, is that it's very early for Jeremy. I feel like with Jeremy's strategy. And just how Jeremy is, we won't see him shine until much later. I think right now, he wants to work with the Meat Shields. And that strategy, you know, you don't really see that payoff in the pre-merge, you know. Yeah. And so, I think once we merge and the early merge and how he navigates will set the tone for Jeremy for the rest of the season. Where he either is doomed to be an early merge boot like in Samuel Dulcer or go all the way. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, enough to be said about Jeremy. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. We yep. will see how it goes for him. Golden Boy himself. Um, let's face it. Let's talk. Let's let's come back to that argument, um, like the Shireen argument we talked about, uh, the story of growth, uh, just for a little bit. Whereas Shireen needed more time to have a real growth arc, and she didn't get that. Joe did not need time. If there was anybody from the previous season, and even the, you know, like San Juan del Sur, yeah, sure, like maybe some people. But Worlds Apart, only one person should have come back immediately, and that was Joe. Because Joe is not someone that grows. Joe wins challenges, and once he doesn't win challenges, he goes home. There's one person I wish came back from Worlds Apart. Is that Mama C? You don't it is know. Mama C. I know. Mama, Mama C would have been good. I would have liked Mama C. I think she would have been interesting. She was on the ballot, too. Yeah, she was. Her, I thought she would have been good. Mike Hallway. But, yeah, but, you know, we could have had Shane Powers and T-Bird, too. You know, whatever. Or Greg. Um, <laughs> you were invited back. I know. I, I, <laughs> Okay, he was invited back to come, but he, he was busy. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, let, let's get back to this. Um, but yeah, so right away, Joe establishes a pretty good strategy of being social and winning challenges, which, you know, I don't think any, I don't think a person that looks like Joe would go, I'm going to play this hyper strategist game. I'm going to throw challenges. I'm going to big, big blind sides and, you know, totally dismantle alliances. Joe's not that guy. He is social. 
He likes to get into all kinds of groups and he wins challenges. That's that's what he does. And so he knows himself well in that regard. I think Joe is simplistic in that regard, however, because once you lose, you go home. Right? Yeah. And Joe Joe has a role. He plays a niche. He's an archetype that is very simplistic. Yep. Win challenge build shelter that's that's (laughs) joe's role he's like a caveman survivor man just be be the golden boy be the survivor man and at this point joe has not lost a single competition no so he's doing a good he's doing a great job yeah he's doing a good job you know he's he's doing his you know honestly his strategy is (laughs) be social and win challenges he's doing a strategy so props to him exactly and so, the the problem is though, once he loses challenge, like he is a player that can never hide his threat level. Just just by looking at him, he looks like someone who would do good on Survivor. He looks like a whiter Aussie, you know? Yeah, and that, he, he's a taller, more like able Aussie. Honestly, like Aussie's a little Aussie's a little short. He's a little scrappy. J- Joe is like this. Like six two, like Adonis. Like he he will win challenges on Survivor. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that you know Joe is not dolphin boy. He's not a dolphin. He doesn't have no. heels like Ozzy, and he can't climb trees that well. And he can't climb trees. I feel like Ozzy was more built for Survivor. Joe is just built for anything. Joe is built for competition. He's built for competition. While Ozzy, he was he was a jungle boy. You know. Yeah, he was the survivor kid for sure. But, All right, moving on to personally probably one of my favorite stories so far with um, second chance. This is Cass, Chaos Cass, the the, the queen of chaos herself, uh, Cass McQuillan. Uh, Cass comes into the season and says, "I want to play a different game. People know me as Chaos Cass. I don't want to be seen as Chaos Cass anymore. I want to be more." I want to revitalize myself. I want to redeem myself. I want redemption in the eyes of viewers. And so she goes out and starts playing this pretty nice and relaxed social game. Like, in a way, that's how she started her first season. But this time, there's no nuance to it. She really, I I really genuinely see her trying to make good connections. And I think it's really awesome to see that because for from an uh, analytical point of view, from a contender point of view, that makes someone have a good chance to win. Having a story of redemption. It is as easy as that. If you're on a returning season and you're looking for, for some kind of redemption from your previous season, point blank, that is a good story. And chances are, if you get the edit to support that, you're going to be a contender. Case of point, Cass is a contender, and she's a good one. So I want to say that Cass is my second favorite contestant and player and character in all of Survivor. Really? Yes. Wow. So my first season was Kagiyan, and my my favorite player watching Kagiyan was Cass. Cass to me was, I think, the most complex character um, mm-hmm. because we saw a lot of both you know, personable and, and also strategic moments from Cass. And I think the one thing that Cass has going for her 
you know, in, in these first four episodes is she's not an underdog. She doesn't yeah. have to scramble. She's able, I think her problem was before she was on the bottom, no matter what, you know, she lost the first, you know, three or four challenges in Kagiyan. She was the swing vote at the merge and Kagiyan, you know, and she, she had these shackles of, she was kind of forced to work with with uh, Spencer and Tasha just on how the the swap happened and how everything happened in in Kagiyan, where now she's able to kind of go in any direction she wants to, and so now a lot of her character or a lot of her strategy is less neurotic, and I think that is a huge plus for Cass because I think she's making one of the best cases of her second chance redemption story, you know, 100%. and um, but yeah, no Cass. I, you know, going out of the episode one through four frame, I I really want her to come back. She she she's playing good, and I think you're right. I think Cass had to scrap uh, a lot of her original season, and this season she hasn't had to as much. She hasn't gone to any tribal councils yet. I think Cass is one of the most interesting characters we've ever had because you think like this old mom, like being just ruthless just insanely cutthroat her first season being a lot more just maniacal and snarky and like dry sarcasm and then the second season it's not a motherly transition as you might expect it's just a positive transition it's not some stereotypical transition of like oh i'm a mother now and i you know i want redemption for that like she simply wants redemption from her first season and she transforms herself in a way that i think is very appealing i i think part of it too is that i don't think has expected herself to make it far in the season I no think, not at all i think she knew her legacy of being chaos cast of flipping people off of being very dry from kageon and so I think going into the season, she didn't feel like she had anything to prove. And I think most of the time that that ends badly, right? Where you right. you know you get checked out. You know we see it before in old seasons and like the All Star and HVV where you know players right. check out. But I think this really lended itself well to Cass. I think she was able to develop actual genuine bonds that has even though she hasn't gone to tribal yet. Uh, I don't think she would have went had she went to tribal in these first four episodes. Mm-hmm. I think she would have been fine. And uh, yeah, nothing but love from Cass. Cass is great. Keith! We're back at it again with these great characters, man. I would like to say uh, this is the first time we've really truly talked about Keith on the show, so I would like to say rest in peace, Keith. Uh, you are a fantastic human. You are a fantastic person to watch. Uh, and you will be missed. I'm sure we have said it before, but we will be talking about you in depth, and so we would like to honor you the best we can. Thank you. And we have nothing but the best of things. Nothing but love. Nothing but love. Keith is great. Keith is is hilarious. Keith is fantastic. I don't have a problem with Keith. I I don't think he's really, like, unless he's a – like, last season he was a scrappy underdog and almost won the season, which is so insane. But Keith is someone who is always going to be near the bottom of any stock ranking, of any stock listing. <laughs> He's never going to be a true contender. But 
he's also someone that's never at the bottom. He's because don't forget, Keith has a very old school approach. I don't even think Keith knows he's playing. I don't even think it's an old school approach. I don't even think he has a real approach. (laughs) I I think I don't even think Keith applied it. I think he just like walked in in the middle of your recording. If I had 19 people, you know, and they're like, oh, you want to join the show? And Keith's like, 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 man, sure, all right. (laughs) Oh, heck yeah. And they're like, oh, man. And they're like, all right, here's a buff. <laughs> here's a buff. Get out there. Get out there. Get out there, soldier. But Smacks him. Well, when you see Keith, like, he is a hard worker. He's, oddly enough, really good at challenges. And he was really good yeah. at challenges in Incident Well Dulcer. You know, he doesn't have a lot of good strategic chops. He did idle out his son. But at the same time, too, he nearly won the game all while doing that. And of anyone who would make a deep run for no apparent reason, I think it's Keith now. It's Keith. Bet on Keith now. And and pl- not just that too. I think Keith also provides just a breath of fresh air because yes. on a game body season like Ka- or like, not Kageyan, Karamoan. No, Cambodia. Cambodia there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we needed someone who was purely character. Yep. No strategic chops. Bad at the game, it is Keith Nail. And you know, he he's making it through. And we I think the, that. I think the best thing you could say about Keith's game is that he does not have the flaws of the old school strategy because he doesn't employ much strategy, but he has the likable and good traits of an old school player. Loyal, wins some challenges, likable, helps around camp. Like he has the good natured strategies of old school, old um, per, uh, attributes of old school survivor, but not the strategy, which is can be dated and can be very flawed, you know? But almost enough, I think that does help Keith because Keith is able it to. Does. Be- extreme because i know before we're worried about you know jeremy's like ability and how that would hinder him when it comes to someone like keith no one's going to worry about his like ability or challenge prowess because of his lack of strategy it is unthreatening like ability he is he's able to just be like oh heck yeah when like, <laughs> challenges and no one's going to vote him out you know? You're right. Yeah, I mean, shit, you're right. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> oh, all right. I, lo- I love Keith. We, 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 everyone loves Keith. Everyone loves Keith. I don't think there's anyone that really just likes Keith. No one. He, just likes Keith. Yeah, Keith is great, and I think Keith is yet another person. Like, Abby Maria is the villain character you need on this type of season. Keith is the positive, fun character you need on this season. And I think those two really balance it out. And I think Keith is that brevity, that light, uh, that, that breath of fresh air. You're just like, oh, my God, so much strategy. And then you see Keith, like, running around or, like, just just acting deranged. <laughs> and it's hilarious. And it's we great. Have, like, Spencer and, and Fishback, and they're freaking out. They're, like, going through calculations. And then we have just good old boy from. He's just sitting there on the recliner, man. He's just. 
Even even awesome. like Jeremy loves Keith and Keith completely screwed up for Jeremy in the first <laughs> first time. Yeah. Like ever ever everyone loves Keith, man. And there's nothing else to say. Everyone loves Keith. There, yeah. Kelly Wentworth. So this this is probably the most interesting second chance story because Kelly Wentworth, in my opinion, was the one person we really knew the least about going into this yeah. season, strategy wise, uh game personality wise like kelly wentworth was someone who was not really like in the limelight that much in her season she only came really out like one or two episodes and then she comes into this season immediately she finds an idol immediately she's ingratiated into the tribe she's playing a nice subdued strategic game like it's literally the textbook hey Let's throw no one. Let's throw nobody into the season and hope they do like fantastic. And that's exactly what's happening, right? Oh, I, every every All Star season needs just the what the heck kind of pick. And we saw in the original All Star, we had Boston Rob and Amber. They were the who like who are these people picks? And they they were the final two. And someone like Kelly Wentworth. You know, had she not returned to Cambodia, she would she would have been one of those players that like nerds talk about on Twitter and Reddit, where they're like, "We need this person to have a." Second yeah, chance. she would have been like the you know like every Allie from season thirty five, Stephanie Johnson from thirty six, like someone like that who's just gone early and they're like Reddit is just fangirling and like, oh my god, Kelly mm-hmm. Wentworth's gotta come back. And but off the bat, she's just playing. Just she's playing a very textbook season, like a late thirty game. Clean. Finds an idol, work, makes connections, doesn't make out enemies, lays low. You know, she went to the first two tribal councils, was never in danger. No one said her name. No one wrote her name down. She was light. She was in in the know. She was in, in the know on what was happening. She was she was playing the game that you know most people would want to play, and um. I'm glad that we have a random WTF kind of pick. Um, that did well. That That's doing so good right now. That does well. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, at the beginning of the season, right like right before the season, if you would ask me if I should switch out Kelly for someone like T-Bird, I'd be like, yeah, I would want T-Bird on this season. But I would, I would switch out other people for T-Bird. But um, I would switch out Kelly Wentworth because I think – it is the, probably one of the greatest W2F picks Survivor has ever made for over 30 season. Like, you look at All-Stars and Robin Amber, obviously. Heroes versus Villains doesn't, like, really have a lot, so that's kind of a scam. Like, maybe Danielle. Yeah, but even that, like, Danielle is fine. It was more of like why people were on the tribes they were, but that's an argument for a later. Yeah, that's a that's that's a whole another story. What about like Caramoan? Uh, that was half the like. That was yeah, that was half. Yeah. It, it, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? It's a very tough. I mean, it's a very tough argument to like talk about W two F players doing so well because there's like if a W two F player comes back, chances are they're just gonna suck. Like game changers, Haley Ford. Well, you can say like most of the cast of game changers. Most of the cast of game changers. Yep. Um, 
and this season, Kelly Wentworth was one, like, one of the few, if you even want to call it one of the few, probably, like, the only real one that was like, okay, what is this pick? And she knocked it out. She's been knocking it out of the park. So I think that casting hit its stride when they recognized that Kelly was going to be a good character. And once Kelly started playing the game well, it was... And shout out to America for voting her back in. Shout out. Good read. Good read. Good job, America. Only good read. Ever say that. Good job, good job, America, for once. Dear God. All right. <laughs> the other Kelly. Miss Wigglesworth. The famed, the glorious Wigglesworth. Um, I want to talk about something from Kelly Wiggers, uh, Kelly uh, Wigglesworth. Before I do that, let me fix my charging port. Oh, my God. Power sources. So before you say that, the one thing I want to say about Kelly is that mm. Um, apparently, in the first tribal council, Jeff tried talking to Kelly's Kelly Wigglesworth. Oh my god, this is what I was gonna talk about. Uh, <laughs> go, 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 go. Trying to get her to like relate the new 31 experience with season one, and she just would not give anything. When you look at her interviews recently, she's given like one word, like, doesn't want to be there. Um, apparently she didn't even watch like her season of Survivor or any season until like a few months before going back to Cam no Cambodia, not Caramoan. Yeah, there you go. And so she she was out of her depth and or out of her league and she just didn't really want to adapt, which is weird. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's weird. I think it's normal. I think not wanting to adapt is fine. I think that's okay. Like, I don't think, like, I think not wanting to adapt is okay. You want to stick by who you are, and that's fine. But the problem is, you can stick by who you are and not adapt in real life. But when you are on a major reality television show where it is heavily produced and edited, if you don't do what the producers want, you're not going to be in the show. And Kelly went from being the poster child uh, of Second Chances in the first episode to disappearing. Gone. Gone. And it sucks because Kelly Wigglesworth is literally just the poster child. And yeah, she might not have been the most entertaining, but it would have been nice to see how Kelly Wigglesworth was just handling things. Just get her perspective on what was going on. And, God, just nothing. Just nothing. And I think it's really because she wanted to be who she was when the producers wanted her to be something else. And so the producers got butter. Yeah. And it sucks. Because Kelly would... But at the same time, too, because Kelly didn't adapt and didn't... Like, it's weird because... We're seeing someone like Terry Deeds. We'll get to Terry Deeds when we do, mm-hmm. but he's he's adapting to the game while still playing the same game he played in Panama. Kelly could easily integrate herself well, be loyal, but still have a say in the game and still have a voice and still, you know, be a player, but you know, play her own way. But she doesn't want to play the game. That is the problem because Borneo was a season where alliances were were unheard of, unethical. Yeah. And she unethical. didn't even want to be a yeah. alliance in the first season. You, like, she had to immunity her way to the end. 
So, yeah. So imagine her perspective, right? Yeah. Like imagine her, imagine her perspective, imagine her perspective 30, 30 seasons later where she didn't even want to be in an alliance because she thought it was unethical. And now 30 seasons later, there's not even alliances because there's so many voting contingencies going on that it's absurd. Like it's this, it's kind of in a way the same story. And I think if you're looking at it that way, where it's, Kelly uh, Kelly Wigglesworth, her first season she refused to, but she like had to slash had to win immunities, and then coming into this season, I think in a way it is growth because instead of you know kind of trying to go along with the flow of what she needed to do, she didn't like it and she did not comply. And you know what though. Props to Wigglesworth for sticking it to the man. Stick it to the man. It might have gotten you a purple edit that, you know, we're all sad about. But, hey. Like stick it to the man. man. Kimmy Cappenberg. Uh, I like Kimmy. We like Kimmy. Kimmy's nice. Kimmy's cool. Um, for Kimmy's game, pretty under the radar. Not a lot going on for Kimmy. Uh, she hasn't lost any immunities yet. She hasn't really given us a lot of insight into how she's thinking. We haven't seen the real Kimmy Kappenberg yet. Uh, and so um, this is kind of a light review. Love Kimmy Kappenberg. Glad she's still playing. Um, and we saw a pretty decent premiere from her. But, you know, we haven't seen much else from her. And I think this is more of a let's wait and see what happens, right? Because yeah. Kimmy... Kimmy's game hasn't really taken off to a point yet. It very well still could. It very and well still could. She hasn't gone. It, that's the problem. When you go, when you miss out on every tribal council, or when you don't go to any tribal council, the only way you can really get a lot of content is if it's like personal growth. And the problem with Kimmy in that regard is that I felt like, I feel like that, you know, Wigglesworth is kind of like Kimmy, but just more extreme. Because Kimmy is, and, and same with Varner, right? Of like being out of the game for how long and then wanting to get back into things. And with how much of a vacuum that Varner was with, with his edit and screen time, it kind of left Kimmy out in the dust. Because Kimmy, yeah. but Kimmy didn't go to any tribal. Um, <laughs> but we also don't say anything negative with her. So that's the, that's the positive with Kimmy. She's just, for right now, um, she's right now she's very, chill. She's chilling. And more power to Kimmy. <laughs> Way to stick to the man, Kimmy. Stick <laughs> to the man. All right. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Monica. Speaking of the man. <laughs> Speaking Monica. of the man. Uh, this is the pick that I – this is the pick that I would have replaced with T-Bird. Yeah. I, I, I got to be real. I – when we talked about Wentworth being a what-the-heck kind of pick, I also think Monica is a what-the-heck kind of pick. Yeah. I I completely... Like, I I shouldn't... I just saw the, you know, these last four episodes today. I do not remember Monica. I do not yeah. remember. And it's unfortunate because, like, she's not... Like, is she a bad player? <laughs> like, is she, is, she, is she... Like, she made it far in Samoa. Samoa was a season dictated by by Russell Hans, and so I think it's a similar story with 
she's just not that big of a character or a voice or a per like character when she has to try to get screen time against abby maria um jeff varner you know jeremy collins spencer bledsoe it it's there's not a lot of room for monica in a season where her competition for screen time is uh dave ball john fincher Mick Trimming and Natalie White, I think Monica might get some screen time because she may be seen as a savvy player. When you're playing with Abby Maria Gomez, uh, when you're playing with Jeremy Collins, Spencer Bledsoe, chances are you're not going to get a lot of good screen time. And that was the case with Monica. I think she can be a good player. We just we don't see it. And my stickler for Edgic and my stickler for analysis, if you have an under the radar one premiere. Unless you're Chris Underwood, you will never win Survivor. Yeah. The only reason why Chris Underwood got an under-the-radar rating in the first episode was to intentionally show that he was going to come out of nowhere and win the season from the edge of the extinction. That was and also the Tina only Wesson. reason. What's up? And Tina Wesson. And Tina Wesson. And Tina... A little less Tina Wesson. Tina Wesson, that was old Survivor, and it was like, uh, okay, well, yeah. whatever. But nowadays, it was because of Richard Hatch and his edit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nowadays, under the radar one premiere, unless you're Chris Underwood, if there's a comeback twist, I'll give you an under the radar one. Otherwise, you got nothing. You were dead in the water to me. And Monica, under the radar one, she dropped dead for me. And I think, unfortunately, too, with how Samoa uh, shook out, too, with how it was a, um, how. She was in the majority who never went to tribal, and then all of a sudden, she was surrounded with bigger characters because there was, you know, like Dave Ball, he was a character. Um, Eric Cardona, you know, he was somewhat of a narrator. But once once Foa Foa came into that, uh, merge. Like that I think it was IQ or something merge with Galoo, the, the Foa Foas took over because they were IQ. the characters and they played the game. It, and, and, and plus two, it's like because the four 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 made the final five. It's like we saw their narrative, because you know Galoo didn't have a narrative, you know, outside of getting pagonged and you know imploding. But I don't know. Even then, poor poor Monica. Poor Monica. Let's continue. Yeah. Where's Spencer? Ah. <laughs> uh, I think this is interesting because Spencer this season, after he gets blindsided by you, he goes, I'm really trying to reconsider and I'm really trying to build more personal connections with people. And he talks about it in the most robotic way imaginable. So here's my problem with Spencer. Here's the thing. He's a game bot. That's not why he lost Kagiyan. He lost Kagiyan because he was a huge underdog and couldn't control. He was an arrogant, scrappy underdog, which is the Spencer that we like. <laughs> but he he was able to be arrogant because he wasn't. He came from a huge deficit, huge underdog, and he was allowed to be arrogant. Yeah, sure. Spencer is not a social guy. No, and no. My fear with Spencer, like he's playing a good game now, but. He, 
the way he comes across and the way he's talking about wanting to make the most out of his second chance, he's not going to deliver on it. And he's not following the same pitfalls that he fell down, you know, in kind of like Jan. Instead, he's falling down these pitfalls of he wants to, you know, tell people that he wants to be more mature and wants to listen to people. But then he's still treating the game like it's chess. Because that's yeah. how he knows how to play the game. That's how he was in Kageyan. The only difference is, is that before, you know, he was allowed to play like that because A, he was, again, a huge underdog. And B, you know, that's just how he was. Now he's coming in preaching about how he wants to be open and how he wants to, you know, be mature, but also playing it like it's Kageyan. And then I, I, can't, I can't remember if we saw it yet, but his whole story about his girlfriend, you know, my, my girlfriend doesn't say like she says i love you and i don't love her jeremy can you help me say i love you to my girlfriend it's like it's like dude that's not like you're not it's like it's like ai performing a query jeremy can you help me say i love you to my girlfriend chat should be cheap man it's quite a dang good survival game spencer is chat gbt different um yeah i'm not the biggest spencer fan um but he is, he is, like, he is, if Survivor Cambodia and the strategy was a person, it would be Spencer. But the yep. problem is, is that Spencer does not want to be Survivor Cambodia. Spencer wants to be, like, Survivor, um, I don't know, Gabon? Where he wants to be personable? No. No, not Gabon. He wants to be... He wants to be. He wants to be. I, he wants to be Earl Cole. That's exactly what I was going to say. Cole. He wants to be Earl Cole. Yeah, he wants to, he wants to be Earl Cole. Cole. But know? he's not Earl Cole. He's he, he's he's not that. I think the reason why Spencer was going to win Cambodia if he made it to the end was because he was a scrappy underdog and he had a jury that supported him. And if he went to the end with someone like Wu or Cass, he would have won the game hands down. Tony, different story. Tony had a really strong game, but with Wu or Cass, he would have won the game. So because he was a scrappy, he was a scrappy underdog, and he had uh, no. Cambodia and uh, Kagiyan, and because Wu and Casper on the season, I was like, you're getting a little ahead. God damn it, and Kagiyan! Like, oh, Thank like, you. Yeah, no. God damn, I'm messing up too. And so, like, he didn't lose the game because he was robotic. He he only lost the game because he could not control his threat level. Which yep. was completely out of his hands. Yep. He just got screwed over. You know? Fair that's point. Okay. And I think that's the unfortunate, tragic flaw of someone like Spencer, who is a very interesting survivor player to watch. Because when Spencer is doing well and when Spencer looks like a real winner, he is scrapping along and he is that cocky kid. When he is not a winner, he is trying to be something that he's not. And I think this is this could be exemplary of that. It could not be. Like Spencer could be redeeming a second chance and could be winning the season, but it could very well be him trying to be something he's not. I want to say too, out of the three Kagiyan or not three, I keep forgetting about Wu in the season. Out of the four Kagiyan representatives, I feel like Cass is making the most of the second chance theme. I think Tasha's playing a better game. Yeah. When it comes to like the stare, like story, the 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 arc, I think Cass is making the most out of like 
I want to play differently. I want to show that I'm different, and she's doing that. Spencer yep. is doing the worst job at that by just, yep. you know, you know, Jeremy, my girlfriend says I love you, and I don't love. Well, her. I don't know. I think Wu is also like, you know, Wu doesn't really have a motive. <laughs> <laughs> but Wu is kind of like a lesser. Lesser uh, Joe, like he's not as good as we just. I think we just. We'll get to Wu. Wu just wants to prove that he's not a moron, in my opinion. Wu's <laughs> just there, man. Wu's hanging out. I, I don't think Wu. I think Wu wants to. Okay, we'll get to Wu. All right, uh, we're good with Spencer. We are moving on now to Stephen Fishback. We love Stephen Fishback. I love Stephen Fishback. I've talked to Stephen Fishback. He's great, but this season he's not starting out hot. He uh, is the classic. Like, name a more iconic Survivor instance than the first episode or two. A pariah is formed because someone goes and looks for an idol. Like, how many times? How many times? Like, just, just all the time. He fall like, he is a Survivor nerd, and he falls into the biggest Survivor nerd pitfall there is. And he gets out of it because he hasn't gone to tribal yet. But I'm wondering, if he goes to tribal council, will it be his demise? Or is because if he's on a majority, will he just skate along? I'm not sure. So, Stephen Fishback, by the way, is my third favorite uh, Survivor contestant. You? Wow. This Unintentional, is wow. by the way. Like, we might get to my top five, like, eventually, one of these days. I swear. Um, yeah, I have both Stephen Fishback and Cass McQuillan below Greg Buis. I am that guy. Um, so, I will say, starting out, Stephen Fishback is in a very bad position. But there, there is saving grace here. Because he relates this and his experience and how he's not in the, He's aware. Like, he knows that he's putting a target on, on himself. And we've seen him talk about how he feels very out of place about, you know, being with jeremy collins joe andrew key like these huge challenge guys and how he's a fish back out of water and yeah. he remarked upon this in season in season 18 token genes and steven played a fantastic game the second best game in in token genes mm-hmm. you know he just had one major mistake of letting jt get to the end and so he started out very rough but we see his trajectory trajectory in the positions across the four episodes where He's getting better and better each episode. He's always improving. Never once has he, you know, gone back to the fishback out of water. And so, honestly, I think fishback works as an underdog. He was an underdog in Token Chains, and he, while he forced himself to be an underdog now, he still has that underdog ranking. Yep. And so, I don't think he's. I think he's not out of the woods yet, but I think he is set up to make a good run in the season. Winner? Not sure. Good run, absolutely. I, I think a good run is in the cards because I think you're absolutely right. I think once Fishback really is in firm control and isn't trying to do anything about it, he's going to get tossed. I think I think he's going to get tossed for sure. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, we'll see how he does. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's playing all right. He's starting to find his footing with Jeremy, Kimmy, and Monica. We'll see how it goes, though, for uh, Fishback. Yeah, I have, I have faith in the fish. Tasha! Uh, you mentioned just a few minutes ago that Tasha was playing the best game out of the Kageon 4. 
and I have to agree. Yeah. Uh, the way Tasha has been playing, she was playing, she was pretty good at the beginning, and she has just come alive during this Ancor phase. She is a leading strategist. She's really flipped the narrative on her head. She's positive. Like, it's overwhelming. Like, that is what you want out of a swap, right? Like, when you want a swap where you are down in numbers and you have to really put your chops together and really go to work, you want more focus because that's an important part of your game. This is an important part of Tasha's game, and she is managing it, not just running through it, not just, like, wading through it. She is managing this part of the game for herself. Oh, yeah. I think... The best way to describe, and the way I think about Tasha in this early game, is she's playing the game that Spencer wanted to play. I think she has enough, the same level of strategic chops, but she's just a lot nicer. She's not as Rabati, and I think she's able to show that she's not just an underdog. I think she's able to play in all positions. You know, early on she was in a good position, and then she was an underdog in the swap, just like in Kagiyan, and she was able to, you know, make lemons. And so I I think I think we've seen a lot of good uh from Tasha in these early episodes. Yeah. I I yeah, I mean Tasha has been playing a very solid game. And we talked about it with Savage and we'll talk about it with Tasha. I think blending in so well in a tribe where you are on it, where you're in actively in a minority and Mm -hmm. blossoming from it and being at the top of the tribe within an episode is a landmark statement and is not only something that reflects well in an episode, but reflects well to a jury. Like when you go in a jury, one of the things I would talk about if I were Tasha, if I got in front of a jury, I'd be like, Hey, like I went from a four to two minority on swap tribe and in a, fu- a couple like a couple days i transformed that tribe to be under my control and nobody else you know nobody else besides savage would be able to claim that from tasha like it would be tasha and savage claiming that point so it's if it's if it's tasha or savage like one of them or you know like it's both of them claim that point say yeah i control the swap tribe like if you were on a minority and you control the swap tribe, that is that is damn good, and that is good gameplay, and that should be highlighted for sure. Oh yeah, Terry Deets. I gotta say, Terry Deets is actually probably one of my like top 20, 25 favorite players, just because he's on paper he's so good. Like he had the super idol and he won five immunities in Panama. But he's so flawed as a character, and he was such a weird underdog that it was so enchanting to watch. And so seeing Terry come back in this season, you know, he's starting off a little mild. Uh, But I think the key thing with Terry uh, is weaponizing the Gomez, weaponizing Abby Maria Gomez. Because the second Terry consoled Abby Maria on the beach. Abby Maria became a not only a number for Terry, but like a literal, like a literal playing card for Terry. Terry could throw out Abby as an ace and would be totally fine. Like it's as easy as that. And so I think Terry heeding Jeff Varner's advice in a way, oh, yeah. heeding, heeding Jeff Varner's kind of 
intuition of, hey, you need to make more bonds. You need to be more active in this. Terry went to go talk to Abby, just being a good human being, and got an ally. The, Terry Deese is playing the game. I really wish Wigglesworth would have He's still he, – he, he has the same quality that he had in Panama. He's still a challenge. He's still a provider. But he a lot of his blemishes from Panama are now gone. And he came yeah. into the season, and he immediately remarked upon how he wanted to be a social player. He wanted that social. He wanted to be a he didn't say he wanted to be a cutthroat strategist. He just wanted to play. What are you doing, man? Uh, something. Hold on. Something. Something dropped. Keep I'm not going. On. The podcast waits for no one. Keep anyway. going. <laughs> but he came into the season wanting to play the social game, which rings true to his old school mentality and play style and how he is, right. while also adapting to the new school survivor. You know, he he was allies with Abby Maria. You know. And I, I was—I'm a huge fan of Terry. I, my some of my favorite characters, and you can tell this with you know Cass and Steven, um, not so much with uh, Greg, um, is that I love the flawed characters. I love the I, I love it. I love people like Lex Savage. You know, not my top five, but those kinds of players, you know, are always my favorite to watch because they're so compelling. And Terry Dietz is very compelling. He was compelling in Panama. Because in Panama too, like I wanted to say this earlier, it kind of felt like everyone was an underdog, you know. In a way, in like a the way, the was so dysfunctional that it felt like they were still like scrapping together despite their chokehold on the game. And Terry Deeds was an obvious underdog because you know he had such you know big low odds of making it through despite having the idol that he never had to play, you know. And so I have nothing but high praise for Terry. Um, I don't think he's playing the best game, but for an old school player, especially with an old school mentality, you know, because he was playing an old school game in season 12, which, you know, that was when cutthroat gameplay was okay, you know, because we had people like Twyla and Chris and, and Tom Westman. Yeah. And, you know, like while a lot of like the cutthroat players got second, like Twyla and, and uh, Stephanie. And Rob, you know, Rob Mariano, and, and, and Rob Mariano. Oh yeah, you know, we. It became a lot more apparent that strategy was okay, but Terry still remained true to being, you know, an older man and, you know, being a scrappy underdog against a bunch of other underdogs. Absolutely, uh, that's the, I, that's why I think I love Terry Dietz, and he's one of my top 20, 25 favorite players. I I don't know for sure. He's he's awesome, and I love Terry Dietz. Final player. We are there. We're at the end, bud. Woo! Woo -huh. uh, not great. Uh, first episode, he's on the outs of the vote. Second episode, he gets in the good graces, votes out Shireen. Third episode, he votes wrong. Next episode, he's in the good graces and he's back. Very, very up and down edit. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's positive and good. Like, it's not like the woo you've seen in Kageon. In a sense. Yeah. It's it's different. It's a lot more like... He's, he's making blunders, but I don't think it's because he is moronic or 
like just really bad at the game. I don't think he's really bad at the game. I just think his mentality is incorrect at the incorrect times. It's wrong at the wrong times. If he, yeah. or rather, his mentality is good at the wrong times. He's an old school mentality at the first tribal council, uh, <laughs> where he votes Abby Maria, and you know it's it fails. Like he doesn't get what he wants. He tries Abby Maria again at the second tribal council, trying to align with PG, someone he wants as an ally, and it fails. He's not trying to be stupid. Like he's saying, hey, we got to try majority. Like let's stick together. Simple argument, right? Probably the one of the most simplest arguments you can have in survivor history. Hey, we have a majority because of our tribe. Let's just stick together. Mm-hmm. One of the easiest arguments to argue in survivor history because it's literal factitious information. So I just think Wu is not Wu is not up and down because of circumstance, or, um, because of like the people around him or how he's individually playing. I just think it's a matter of circumstance of what situation he's in. I think Wu's problem is he's too loyal. He's he is the one of the most loyal players in all of Survivor. We saw that to, with Yan. Two deathly, two deathly bad rewards. But continue. And like we saw it, you know, he he made one of the dumbest, if not the dumbest, move in all of Survivor by taking Tony instead of Cass to Final Tribal Council. And you know, we saw it again where he votes Abby Maria with um with PG. And the problem is, I don't think it's when you play a loyal game like this. I feel like it's important to still have awareness and still enough game sense to be able to rectify and be able to heal heal your bridges and and you know do damage control. That's something a lot of loyal players don't really do a whole lot, you know, because it's easy for Wu to go to like Abby Maria and say like, "Hey, I'm sorry, I voted for you," you know, in the third episode. And like, I just. You know, I, I gave my word to PG. I know you're upset. It's okay. Like, not about you. I just didn't want PG to go unanimously. You know, it's whatever, right? Yeah. But unless we, like, unless that happened, we don't see it. You know, Wu just seems very out there. And he was out there too in Kagiyan, and he got picked up by the power players. He got picked up by Tony and, you know, and poor Weasel Wu. He, he just gets blindsided a lot. He yeah. does. Like with Cliff, he was loyal to Cliff until Cliff went. He was loyal to Tony until you know Spencer won a whole tirade at Final Trouble Council about how he's a lapdog, and then he's making the same mistakes now. And um, he to, another problem too is Wu is what happens when you mix together like Ozzy and Fabio. Yeah, I yeah I'm gonna argue not that point. I'm gonna argue and say that. Wu made the dumbest decision in Survivor history because I'm I'm gonna argue and say he did um, because I think the reason why I say he made the dumbest decision in Survivor history is because he literally said in the episode that it would be the dumbest decision in Survivor history. I can I think I can quote it. I mean, Cass, I'd be the stupidest Survivor. In history, if I took Tony to the end, that is the stupidest decision because you admit it's stupid and then you do it. And, and in that, my opinion, at that point in the game where you have the power to do so, 
And that's the difference between like Eric giving up immunity or Brandon giving up immunity and and what Woo did. Because I feel like Eric and Brandon, especially Brandon, you know, we don't like to talk about Brandon too much, Brandon Pants, is I felt like they were more manipulated. Eric Eric and, was a kid and he was manipulated by very were, smart, savvy women. And Brandon like Brandon, I don't hold that against him, even though he was in yeah. a better spot than Eric. Like yeah, he, he was young. Brandon was Brandon was a psychological, emotional mess. I don't put it against him. That was what he was compelled to do. Whatever. And you know, like, but the thing with Brandon, Eric, and and even like Ian from Palau is that they were very young kids who were manipulated by you know people they thought were trustworthy and whatnot. Tony spent the last thirty eight days lying to everyone about everyone, and playing the most apparent, over-the-top, cutthroat game. And Wu saw this, and Wu, you know, he wasn't that foolish. You know, he was 29. That's kind of young, but yeah, you're almost 30. You know, you got some, you got some wisdom. You got a little bit of wisdom. You got, you got, you got, you got your head on your shoulders, you know? He's, yeah. not, he's not like in his early 20s where, you know, he wants to look like a good guy. But I, I, think, the, I think the mistake Wu makes is that I think – Maybe in his head he sees that Cass, getting rid of Cass, is the more honorable decision. Because he keeps someone that he was loyal to the entire time over Cass, who's a flip-flopper and flips people off. Like, in that regard, I get it. But, like... At the same time, you could use the same logic really? of Cass about Tony. Tony, yeah. Tony literally blindsided Wu early on in the game. And so Wu could have said, like, I lied to Tony. I had to because Tony backs up my closest ally, so I had to go with him, keep your enemies close. And, you know, I was... Bam. Wins the game. Like, 9-0 oh, yeah. to zero wins the game. Yep. You know, because... Unless Cass won. Oh, <laughs> But the most important wow. part about the whole season is that Wu was 0.1 seconds away from winning the game. Because Cass nearly won the final immunity challenge. Yep. She was a second away. And had she won, she would have take, taken Wu... Which would have been, you know, we would have won. Yep. And even then, we would have had an even even easier time of saying he was loyal. He could have been like, I was very loyal in this entire game. I had my loyalty with you know Tony. You know, I I played an old school game, and he would have been able to stick by it. It's Actually, Wu was one of the only people who I think could have thrown the final immunity challenge, and it would have worked out. Yeah, they were taking. I, I, yeah, life. they were both taking him. I think. For sure. It was a Richard Hatch. You could throw the challenge and you would get taken regardless. And you could still keep your I'm an honest guy mentality. But that, that's that's Kaigian. I mean, we're going to you know, delve way too much on Cambodia Wu. Cambodia Wu is in a weird spot, I think. I think he is on an upward trajectory unless next episode he goes down. If next episode is positive for Wu, or the next two episodes are positive for Wu, you could see some very good sides. Do I think he's really a winner contender? Not really. Yeah. But I do think that if there was anyone that I would count on as like, hey, this is like a, in a way like a little bit of a dark horse, I think Wu would not be a bad call for like a very slim like two percentile like dark horse, you know? Yeah. But – we just Wu's getting edited like he hasn't gone to tribal at all, and he's, and he's been to every single tribal except for like one. 
No. No, he's been to every one. Every every tribal council. Yep, every tribal so far. So, yeah. Tough shit. Let's move on. We're going to give a quick little analysis uh, of the uh, ratings for everyone. And so I'm just going to go over them real quick. Uh, for those that don't know the symbol key, uh, we have three pluses for amazing, two for great, one for good, equals for average, minus for bad, two minuses for really bad, three for horrendous, and a slash for why you have this. It's basically to rate your stocks and whether you should buy, sell, stay, or stop investing. Yeah. Um, Tasha, Kelly, and Jeremy are the top three, and they are all amazing. Amazing series for all three of them. It's been really, really good. You want to buy those stocks. Cass and Spencer and Terry have all had great series. You should buy those as well. It's a it's a it's a great buy and it's a very smart buy for sure. Hopping in real quick too. So the reason why someone like Terry has two pluses, I know it's not visible on the screen, mm -hmm. but Terry has two pluses. Wu only has one. I think Terry has a better upwards trajectory than yeah. than Wu. Wu is very stagnant. He's he's been around you know number six, number seven, number eight for a good while. Someone like Terry, he went from you know lower in positions to now number seven across four episodes. That yeah. to me is a lot stronger than you know not being around the same level, and it's very similar to like someone like Cass who has two pluses. But that's yeah, that's all I want to say. Yeah. Uh, Lou, Savage, Joe, Sierra, Fishback, Kimmy, and Keith all have pluses, uh, all for varying reasons. Some have have had good series, and they're mixed, like Lou uh, and uh, Fishback, uh, and some have had good series because it's nice and chill, like Sierra, like Savage, like Kimmy, nice and chill series. You have Kelly Wigglesworth at equals. I uh, don't really know what to say. Just stay on what you got. If you don't got anything good, if you have some, fine. Just sure. don't make any moves yet. There's no indication of what Kelly Wigglesworth is really going to do. So we're, you know, just hold on to that. Uh, Monica is at a minus. She had a bad series because she's basically had nothing. If you have nothing, you have a bad series. It's as easy as that. And then Abby Maria, the perennial slash. You, uh, Abby Maria will never get a buy for me. Uh, she could make it far, but her win equity will always be yeah. right on the line of zero. Point zero 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 one. She only beats like Ben Browning from Samoa. Yeah, that's the only person. Not not only, but that's. If she's in a that, that, that is a tough competition, but she might squeak it out by one or two votes. No, Ben Browning, she she sweeps the jury. You know, we stick her with Ben from Samoa and Clay from from Thailand. And yeah, Maria sure. has a good beat against those two. But in this cast, no, she's not one. No. So uh if you if you you know, why do you have this? I mean, if you have some and you're looking for longevity for Abby Maria? It's not a bad move. It's not a bad move because Abby Maria, regardless of how good she or good or bad she's playing the game, she has longevity. And mm -hmm. that is clear. Finally, we're going to go all the way back to the Edic for the season. So far, four strips, nice and clean. Uh, 
what are you thinking so far, Will? Take a look at this. Give me your little – give me some insight. What are you thinking? Do you want the melon intuition? I want the melons given to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I there's not a lot of uh, points I disagree with. Um, I think – yeah. I think someone like Terry is someone to look out for because he's been getting a lot of under the radar, but also, you know, positive uh, visibility, you know, similar with, you know, Savage and uh, Tasha, especially Savage, because we have Tasha already so high that, mm -hmm. you know, when I look at the edgic, I don't look for immediately the contenders. I look for, you know, instead of one through four, I look for, you know, five through eight. You right. know, the, because I feel like a lot of the times too with House Survivor edits and, and whatnot, you know, it's always those players that are the dark horses, people to look out for. You know, right. especially when we do stock watches, because it's not just about you know who who gets the dub, but who gets you the most stocks. I think the one I want to watch out for the most is Cass. I think Cass is at a four right now, which is you know, pretty good. But Cass is like. Cass is in a great spot. Good premiere for a winner. Great second episode explaining her strategy. Uh, third episode, not a lot, but she's still there. Fourth episode, some great strategy. If we see some more from Cass in these coming episodes, I think we're going to be cooking, and I think Cass is going to be a real modified contender. And similar with Jeremy Kelly and Tasha, because they're the only three to be across every episode be a contender. And mm -hmm. there's also Cass and Spencer who are kind of – hovering right below they're hanging up um yeah but it's still to me pretty close i don't think there's anyone who's right now a standout star um who i this, this is an mind. open game there are a lot of good contenders that i think if you copy paste their strip into any other season i think they're the top contender or one of the top two or three contenders but in this season there's a good like it's Five to six to seven people who you could say are top contenders. Oh yeah, there's an argument that someone like even Stephen. I could make an argument or argument that Stephen, you know, could be a contender. You know, yeah. that's how open this game is right now. For sure. And we've been going at it for an hour forty-six. Oh my god. That is our longest stream so far. Well, that uh, that does it for our slide deck. You. Got any final thoughts for our first episode back since like May? Um, I want to thank my mom and dad. Um, I want to thank Greg Buis for and Cast for getting me into Survivor. Um, actually, Jack, who's your favorite Survivor contestant? That is really, really tough. My favorite, though, uh, it's international. Uh, it is Luke Toki. From Australian Survivor. Um, and then who's your favorite off of Cambodia so far across the first four episodes? Across the first four episodes, I would say uh, uh, I'm going to go Cass. My man. I'm going to uh, go Cass. I think Cass has been really good these first four episodes. Cass and Terry. And Jeremy, of course. Cass, Terry. Like like, there's so many good people. Like, let's be real. Everybody, like most, like most everybody's pretty good. I love Fishback too, but everybody's everybody's pretty good. We'll, we'll be back in I think two weeks when we talk yeah. about five and six. Cover five to six, so get to watching if you and you know we'll be ready to go with our new edgic strips. We'll see what happens with some of these storylines. Uh, 
If you don't Will, have any, any final words? I said if you don't have Paramount Plus and can't watch, you know, Second Chance, uh, I know a few oh, good pirating sites, but the best way is to watch the main recappers. You know, I know Aves and, and Co. has been doing a great job, so go check them out. Um, and, uh, yeah. That has been Jack and Will with the stocks. We thank you for watching, <laughs> and we will see you next time.